Uh, lately, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Bill Burr, the comedian Bill Burr. He's actually one of my favorite comedians, and, and I've revisited some of his special lately. And it led me down a Bill Burr rabbit hole, of course. And I started listening to some interviews with him on different podcasts and uh, on YouTube and things like that. And what stood out to me is the process that a stand-up comedian goes through when putting together a special or an album, like uh, to put together a full show. And of course, uh, what comedians do and what solo performers in the theater do are, are somewhat different. They have a lot of they have a little bit of overlap, but uh, they're you know very different animals. But it dawned on me as Bill Burr kind of reluctantly talked about his process, and uh, I've heard other comedians speak in in these terms in the past as well, is that they uh, they develop material over time. They workshop stuff in front of audiences, and they basically uh, kind of put it together in a, they combine stuff over time. Like they, it culminates in a whole show. Like it's a disparate material that's packed together and that they keep it in their minds over time. And by revisiting the material and presenting it to basically disparate audiences in different venues in different cities, uh, they basically get to work on it in front of crowds. And that's how it, it that's how their shows are put together. And it dawned, me, that's, it dawned on me <laughs> that that's how a solo performer puts together shows as well. That's how I feel that I've put together my shows is I start by writing them out and then I, I perform them over a long span of time. And today I want to talk about uh, one of those shows that I have put together over a long span of time and the the little epiphanies and discoveries that I've, I've made concerning that particular show, especially in light of a, like a, a recent performance. I was at the Fort Worth Fringe Festival in Fort Worth, Texas pretty recently, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. I was one of nine acts that they had over like a three-day festival. But anyway, let's get at it. Hello, my name is Brad McIntyre, and you're listening to the Cultivated Playwright Podcast, episode number 33. So it's uh, mid-September, and uh, last weekend I finished the Fort Worth Fringe Festival in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, I took my play, Robert's Eternal Goldfish, and uh, performed it over four times over a long weekend, so four times over three days. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to uh, do a little debriefing of the Fort Worth Fringe Festival. I am not <laughs> I am not going to talk about uh, the other shows that I saw uh, because I uh, got feedback from uh, my last podcast. A couple of people that did the shows in the Denver Fringe, uh, <laughs> one person in particular contacted me and uh we had a very long conversation, and uh, I don't think he liked his show being called a, uh, I don't know, not theater, <laughs> basically. I don't know. I stand by everything I said in that podcast, and I thought I was being very diplomatic, but um, I must have uh, 
rankled somebody uh, a little bit. So I, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna steer away from commenting on the other, other pieces that were in the festival this time. I saw some pretty good stuff, and I saw some stuff that wasn't very good at all. You know, things just kind of ran the gamut. What I do want to talk about, though, is performing the same play over and over again with spans of time between the runs of the play. So the play that I performed uh, is called Robert's Eternal Goldfish. And I've been performing the play off and on since 2014, I believe. It's about a very misanthropic guy named Robert J. Roberts. <laughs> anyway, he uh, he pretty much hates everything, and it, it dates it, the his uh, his hatred of the world and of the people in it. Basically, goes back to a trauma that he experienced during his childhood, and he uh, he becomes sort of this unlikely custodian of a rather magical goldfish that just will not die. And basically, it, it haunts the guy or, or frustrates the guy into becoming a slightly better person. And I mean slightly better. The piece has a, a moderately uplifting ending. Anyway, the, uh, the pieces I've taken all over the place. I've taken it to, uh, to Canada, and I've taken it to Minnesota, and to, oh, I'm trying to think of all the places I've been with the play. I've, I've, been, I've been all over the place with it. Um, and I performed it on average about, I don't know, two or three times a year. So basically off and on since 2014. And each time I performed it, it performs anywhere from like a one, one night gig to like two weekends, three weekends in a row. So not a very long run each time, but lots of tiny runs. And each run of the play at a different uh, theater venue or a different fringe festival, each time it runs, it, it, it's got a lot of runs, I guess is what I'm saying. It's run a lot of times, and each time there's long spans of, of time between the runs, and the runs themselves are short. So <laughs> I've had a lot of time to think about the play and basically come back and revisit it. So I haven't been continuously performing the same play over and over again, but I also haven't completely put it down. So each time I have to perform the play, I have to re-rehearse it. Even if it's just, uh, you know, like a month or so between gigs, I still, I still rehearse stuff anyway. Even if I think I know it, I just, as my nature as an actor is to just keep rehearsing. I, I, I'm never, I'm never quite content that I have everything just squared away. I always, as a performer, especially as a solo performer, I never want to be that guy. It's like, I'm always okay. I'm just confident that I totally have it. No room for improvement here. It's good enough. The whole phrase good enough. That's like the, that's like to the detriment of so many performers that I've met in the past that are otherwise fantastic performers, but they, they stop pushing at some point. They're like, it's good enough. And they leave it. I, I don't have that. Thankfully, I don't have that. That's not, that's not one of the bones of my skeleton. So I always rehearse it. And what I've discovered, and I discovered this time at the Fort Worth Fringe Festival, is, is there's new things about my piece. Things that you kind of only discover, or I found that I only discover, if I put the piece down for a little bit and then pick it back up again. So I kind of have to re-approach the play every time I do it. But the play is very, very familiar to me. 
So I, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's like the sweet spot. It's the, it's the porridge the Goldilocks chose. It's kind of in between. It's not that I'm doing it so often that it becomes automatic and rote, but I'm familiar enough with it that I can, I can tune in to the little details and things. So this run, and I'm going to share this with you, even though <laughs> you may or may not be familiar with this play that I'm talking about. But I think the concept of discovering small little improvements, small little discoveries and little epiphanies sprinkled into kind of uh, ongoing performances of the play is a thing that's, that's advantageous. I think it's good. It's good. Uh, it's a good thing. <laughs> and so I just want to describe kind of what I discovered this past weekend, having to re-rehearse my play and then perform it again for... Uh, different audiences. That's the other thing, too, I should mention. When you perform at fringe festivals and different venues around the country, you, you go to different cities and you go to different spaces, and there's always different audiences. And so you get this kind of wide smattering of different kinds of audiences um, that all bring their own perspectives to the show. The space I was in for this particular play was a nice, small, intimate space for a one man show. It was great, but it was all concrete. And my voice boomed in this room. And uh, I, I kind of walked away wondering if I came across as a, even more kind of brass and, uh, I don't know, more, more loud and booming even than normal because the acoustics in the space were just really echoey. Like there was a lot of reverberation. And I tend to get loud sometimes, like, like super loud. So the space also dictates how the uh how the piece can change as well also if you if you're in a room and it's very echoey and the walls are all made of concrete and it's it's small enough that your voice bounces off of those spaces you definitely notice when you're being really loud <laughs> like i noticed i noticed when i'm being really quiet and really loud I, I the volume changes you know during the run of the play but in this instance, uh, there's, there's two, two, maybe three, just a couple of like little discoveries that I noticed that I had not noticed up until this point, and they were within the story itself. Uh, one minor change that I made to the play is uh, I, I discussed this story at one point of this guy um, getting left behind on a snorkeling trip. Uh, the Robert J. Roberts character, when he's a little kid, he uh, is, is left out in the open ocean when his family goes on a snorkeling trip trip they they take the snorkeling excursion boat out into the ocean and everyone else comes back and he's left out there uh in the ocean kind of like uh abandoned and uh it didn't dawn on me previously because i'm in the in the eye of my own storm but it didn't dawn on me that that they somebody had asked me why wouldn't they notice that he wasn't on the boat before they went back and uh I talk about the person running the shore excursion boat going around with a clipboard and, and keeping track of the passengers and accidentally checking the guy off the list. But this time I, I added just a small detail. It was just a very small detail, but I added that Robert's parents made friends with another couple on board the, uh, the snorkeling trip boat and got to talking all the way back to shore. And only when they got back to shore did they notice that, that, that little Robbie was not around. And it's just one of those tiny little things that seems so obvious. Like me just saying it out loud right now. I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't you write that in the show originally? It's just a small little touch and it just solves, it solves a little plot hole. 
basically. It solves a little bit of the narrative, and it doesn't take away anything. But I just came up with it when I was re-rehearsing the play this past weekend uh, for the Fringe Festival this past weekend in Fort Worth. I Just as I was running the play, it dawned on me. I'm like, wait a second. That's a plot hole. And then I saw it, and then I fixed it. Another, another little uh, added thing that I discovered has to do with uh, some imagery in the play that I, I hadn't paid that much attention to before, but, th- but really does round out the play just a little bit more. There's a goldfish in the play. It's in the title, uh, Robert's Eternal Goldfish. Um, but this goldfish, that this kind of eternal goldfish, this undying goldfish, this goldfish that keeps coming back from the dead, it keeps resurrecting itself. The guy, Robert, keeps trying to kill the goldfish in different ways. And uh, at some points, it flops around on the floor. He watches it flop around until it, it, it asphyxiates and dies. And uh, that flopping around action, I started to incorporate into other parts of the play. So he's trying to fall asleep at, at, at different points in the play. And I, I added in the, the imagery of him restlessly flipping and flopping around in the bed. And it, again... This sounds so minor. This sounds so minor. But as a playwright, this is the kind of stuff that blows my hair back. It's the kind of stuff that I just love adding to these pieces. So I uh, put it in this. I put it in this run and tested it out in front of the audience. And I, I the audience doesn't have the uh, reference point of seeing the play without these little these little discoveries sprinkled in. But I think they play really well. And I'm going to keep looking for these little things just to round out the piece. It's kind of the it's kind of the the glory of doing these things over long periods of time. Cuz we if you're a writer and a performer and you write your own pieces and you perform your own pieces, there's a practical side of it that just where you have to say, "Listen, I got to get this on its feet and I have to show it to people. I got to stop messing around with it." But you don't have to stop messing around with it. I mean, you have to set cues and you have to have the show ready and coherent and ready to go. But over time, revisiting a piece over and over again allows you the opportunity to make tiny little discoveries. The, the structure of the piece stays the same. The overall plot stays the same. The characterization doesn't change immensely. It's just little things that add to it. It's like having a really good recipe for something you like to cook. And then finding out that you can add a tiny little bit of this spice and a little bit of this spice just to just to round it out. It would be good even if it wasn't, uh, if you didn't add those things, but you could. You, you see what I'm saying? So anyway, as far as the Fringe Festival in general, the Fort Worth Fringe Festival, um, it's a young Fringe Festival. It is, uh, it's the sixth year. It's the sixth annual, quote unquote. But of course, they took, they took some time off for the pandemic uh, the last couple of years. And uh, they're still growing. It's a very unique Fringe Festival. It has a kind of a community theater vibe to it. And it's, it's run by a uh, kind of a community theater organization in North Texas. But everybody was really hospitable. Uh, all the performers were, were nice to talk to. The organizers and the, the crew and the tech people, everybody was super, super pleasant and professional. And the audiences were small. Because again, the festival's still growing, and admittedly, here in 2022, people are still just getting back to the theater. I don't think we're going to see audiences in the same numbers from 2019 again in the theater for a couple of years. I think I think it's going to be a slow growth until audiences 
even get back to the, 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 the levels they were previously, let alone more. And admittedly, I'm not a name, <laughs> I'm not a name commodity. I'm not a, there's no name recognition. Nobody's like, oh, Brad McIntyre, gotta go see his, that's that guy that does the podcast, right? God, I love his stuff. Yeah, that doesn't, that never happens to me. So <laughs> I'm always grateful for whatever audiences I get. In fact, I have a whole episode about like uh, low audience numbers and still doing as good a work as you possibly can in one of these podcasts. But um, uh, <laughs> I'm always grateful for whatever audiences do come out and I try to rock it out, whether it's, you know, one person in the audience or 100. It doesn't affect the my level of energy. I, I always aim. I always swing for the fences. But that said, it's always a delight when there's like a lot more people in the audience, uh, like like uh, uh, an audience of 50 people is always preferable to an audience of eight. Let's just, I'll just leave it like that. Anyway, I got some more stuff coming down the pipeline. I've been super busy uh, of late, but I have, uh, I have a couple of podcast ideas that I, I, I need to, to put in the shoot. This one I'm currently just recording sitting in a parking lot in my car, so I'm not sure what the audio quality of this particular recording is going to be, but I'm going to post it anyway because... It always, uh, I always forget to say stuff when I have to re-record it. You never get the best, the best take's always the first take, but first take sometimes has horrible uh, technical qualities to it. I'm going to let the technical qualities ride on this one, and I'm just going to post this particular episode. But but I, I've got some other ideas and other things I want to touch on, and I'm hopefully going to get to those. So uh, tune in. I'm trying to make this podcast a little more regular. It's not going to be like a weekly or even monthly thing anytime soon, but, uh, I'm trying to, as soon as I can think of stuff, I'm trying to get it out. I've definitely been mulling over a, a podcast on, uh, the passing of Sir Peter Brook, um, a big influence on me. And, uh, I'm having trouble putting that podcast together a little bit because I have way, way more to say about Peter Brook than I can easily put into words. And, and a lot of stuff I think about him, I can't even put into words. But uh, that's coming down the pike. I, I do want to do a memorial kind of podcast to him. And uh, I got a couple of other ones on the, on, the, on the back burner as well. So thanks for listening. If you listen this far, again, my name is Brad McIntyre. You're listening to the Cultivated Playwright Podcast. If you want to uh, find out information about me, uh, I'm online at uh, bradmcintyre.com. And uh, you can always go to the WordPress website for this particular podcast, the, the Cultivated Playwright uh, best way just to search it out uh, on a uh, search engine and it's usually within the first three or four uh, entries we're on uh, apple Podcasts as well and stitcher and a bunch of other places you know wherever you get your podcasts that's it uh thanks for listening have a good day